Amen. The children are dismissed to Children's Church, and we'll get started with looking into God's Word. Please open your Bibles to John chapter 14, John chapter 14, as we are in week two of Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, the way, the truth, and the life. John chapter 14, 15 to 21, and with the Word of God being the most important part of the sermon, for it's the inspired Word of God Himself, we'll start with reading that today. So again, John 14, 15 to 21. We'll have it on the screen here momentarily, but I encourage you, bring your copies of the Word to church or use a physical copy in front of you as well. We love seeing those physical copies open, and it creates a physical muscle memory as well, so you know where to go in times of need or just in daily, in your daily walk. Please follow along as I read from this great source of hope, great source of hope. Truth, grace, great source of life and righteousness. Starting at verse 15, Jesus says here, If you love me, if you love me, keep my commands. And I'll ask the Father, and he'll give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. For he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you'll realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Thanks for following along with me. Please bow your heads. Let's open in prayer here. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the great truth which is to be found in it and in it alone. We thank you for the life which is found, the hope and the righteousness. And Lord, we pray now as we look into your word and especially as I discuss your word, may you be speaking to all of us and to me as well through me. May you be glorified. May the saints here before you be edified. And Lord, may the lost be found. And may we pray for these things, not just on Sunday mornings, but every single day of our lives. May you be glorified in all things in all, and in all ways. Thank you for the great blessing of your word now. And now bless us as you're glorified as we look to it now. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. So last week we looked to Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, and we spoke about knowing Jesus, and we learned that through knowing Jesus, we've been greatly empowered with the way, the truth, and the life. And as we look to the way, we see that Jesus is the way to a new dwelling place which is being prepared for us. Jesus is the way to the Father, and Jesus is the way to an empowered life of which Jesus himself is advocating for us to the Father. Personally, today we move from talking about knowing Jesus, though, to talking about loving Jesus. And if you truly love Jesus, that's the thought we'll explore today, you will be empowered greatly, not just through Christ, but through the Holy Spirit. But this will bring me to my very first point early on here. You see, love is a call to action. Love is a call 
to action. I have a lot to say today, so I'm going to try to move rather fast, but if you need a copy of my notes later, let me know. I will gladly email it to you or talk with you personally and meet with you. I'd love to meet with you personally and talk more about the scripture and talk more about how can we apply these personally to our lives. But first, point one is this today. Love is a call to action. You see, our love for Christ should lead us to continue his work and show his love to others. You see, I think it's easy to say we love Jesus. After all, he's patient, he's kind, he's gentle, he's lowly. Then on top of all this, he literally traded his life so that we could experience total redemption from sin, salvation, and a peace which goes beyond our own understanding. What's not there to love about Jesus? We have eternal life with God in heaven, a hope of something greater than anything we could ever imagine, all because of Jesus. You see, it's not hard to say we love Jesus, but what is hard is to obey Jesus. Obedience is hard. And I believe there's a vast difference from saying we love Jesus to truly showing that we love Jesus through actions of obedience and obeying his word, obeying his commands, living by his great example, living as he lived and as he commands us to live, it may be hard at times. Following commands of Jesus to love, to forgive, and to extend mercy is often difficult. It's harder for some of us than others, of course, or it's harder at certain times of life. But thankfully, he gives us a great helper, a great advocate, a great comforter, the Holy Spirit. And through this equipping, we can do great things. You see, we can love Jesus and we can love like Jesus because of the Spirit's enabling within our lives. We need not ever have to go about it alone. We have something called the paraclete spirit, and we'll talk about more of this later. But first, I want to give you a little background. You see, I've been focusing on this scripture a lot this past week, and I just love those first 15 verses, and we're going to dig deeper today, but first I want to remind you where we've been. You see, Jesus is having some final moments with his disciples, and he encourages them, do not let your hearts be troubled. And we talked last week greatly about this. Why might they be troubled? And I think this has great implications, applications for our life, as so often we feel greatly troubled. But we, like the disciples, need not be troubled. Why were the disciples troubled, first of all? The disciples were troubled because they're finding out Jesus is telling them that his time is coming to an end here with them. He will soon be departing from their side. Jesus, the great master, their great leader, their compassionate companion, their friend, will be leaving them soon. In addition to this, Judas, the great betrayer, has just walked up from the table and left to go about his business to betray Jesus. And then one additional thing, if you need an additional reason why they might be troubled, Peter himself is told that here soon he would deny Jesus. But despite their failings, despite their troubled hearts, Jesus assures them that they need not be troubled. Now, I was talking with a a good friend of mine in this congregation this week, and he was talking to me about troubling times, and you know who you are, and I just want to share with, him, with what he and I talked about. You see, we've recently gone through some troubling times, and maybe you have as well. Maybe it's physical afflictions, physical struggles of which you're going through. Maybe it's troubles with your heart. Maybe it's troubles with your, your 
legs, maybe it's troubles with arthritis, maybe it's troubles with cancer, whatever it might be, maybe it's troubles of the mind and troubles with depression or troubles with anger, troubles with work, troubles with your marriage, troubles with financial status. I want to expand your mind to think all of us deal with troubles every single day. But I think it's good for us to acknowledge these troubles and not just push them aside because it's not until we truly acknowledge these troubles that we truly realize how great Christ is in these troubles. For it's within recognizing these very things that Jesus is telling his disciples that we too can recognize that we don't need to be troubled. We need not allow the troubling thoughts of our heart to control our actions from day to day. For just as Jesus tells them, he is the way the truth, and the life. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, not just for them, but for us also. And that is why Jesus tells the disciples they need not be troubled. Jesus tells them that he is the way. And in saying the way, he is saying that he is the way to a better place. And although he need leave them for a time, it is only for a time. He will be coming back. And they can be assured that even though he is leaving them for this time, he is preparing a greater place by his side for eternity. But that's not all. You see, Jesus is also the way in that he is the way to the Father. Jesus has revealed the way to the Father through his actions. Jesus needed to depart for it's in his departure from their side and to that cross and to the grave and above the grave to the Father's side that the way to us is clearly delivered to the Father. But there's one more thing here before we move on to today. You see, Jesus is also the way to an empowered life. And last week we talked about this empowering being the fact that we can do great things through Jesus for Jesus is there as an advocate for us. But now Jesus continues this thought of the empowered lives of which we too can live through the fact that through our love of Jesus, through our obeying of his commands, he will bless us with something greater, a great helper to help us through all times. We are never alone. And that's where we find ourselves today. But here's the thing about empowered lives the empowered life which Jesus commands us to is an empowered life which has responsibility, obedience, and love at the forefront. And that is where we find ourselves. How are we loving Jesus? Verse 15 powerfully tells us that we must love Jesus just as Jesus is proclaiming to his disciples to love him and obey him. This is what we first see. And we must not skip over these verses. All of God's word is beneficial, useful for teaching and edification and conviction and encouragement of our lives. But boy, don't you love those words wrote in red? Those words spoken of Christ Jesus? But how often does the world today, and Pat spoke of it too, about delivering the word of God in the schools, people want to push this aside, especially the things of the word which aren't telling us, love Jesus and do whatever you want to do. That's not what the word says here. It says, love me and do my commands. Love me and live in obedience to what I'm telling you to do. And that's our next point, point number two here, if you're taking notes. You see, his love changes everything for you. And now you should live giving everything for him. Loving Jesus means obeying his commands over our own 
desires. Loving Jesus means obeying his commands over our own desires. I told you that in the beginning, that first point, love is a call to action. Well, how often do we show action in our love to things or people or places of the world, yet we're not truly showing a great love for God? Verse 21 tells us, I love how it starts off talking in verse 15 about loving Jesus and doing his commands. But then in verse 21, it brings it back together. It flip-flops it here and says, loving Jesus, it says of loving Jesus, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Do you love Jesus? That's pretty pointed, isn't it? We don't need to go super Um, deep in depth here to just see what is right in front of us. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Are you doing what he commands? Are you living as he says to live? Are you continuing his work? Are you serving him? The one who loves me, it says, will be loved by my father and I too will love them and show myself to them. What great encouragement we have here. I love that God does not only convict or challenge us, or tell us how to live, but he also encourages it. My senior pastor back in Troy, Ohio, when I was but a youth pastor, once told me that he always tries, anytime he has something, to try and mentor somebody, or to try and present to somebody that might be hard, he tries to also be sure to encourage them to. And I try to do that as well. Sometimes it doesn't happen as I mean it to. Or sometimes the bad can outweigh the good, and it's hard to make sure that the good is seen, but I pray that it always is. But here, this is so good because he's convicting, he's challenging, he's encouraging us on not just a different way to live, but a better way to live. But then we also have this great comforting statement, and it's not an official point, but it's definitely something to note, whether it be in your minds or on the papers in front of you, that to those who love Jesus and keep his commands you'll also be loved by the Father. And you'll be loved by Jesus himself. God loves you. And let me me rephrase this a little bit because I don't want to have some false teaching, some heretical thought here. God loved you before you served him. God loved you in your sin too. That's why God sent Jesus. Yet while we are still sinners to provide a better way, We needed the love of God to come to us, to be that sacrificial, blemishless, perfect lamb. So we no longer needed to be saved through our works and a sacrificial system of our own, but we could be saved once and for all by grace, by mercy, by love, through faith in him alone. And that that system of salvation still stands true today, and it always will be. And praise the Lord for this. But we still have this um, this great truth here. Our love should be evidenced through how we live. Our examples of how we live should show that we love God. But again, I go back to obedience. It's difficult, isn't it? Obedience is not always easy. And that's what this is about. It's about love. It's about obedience. And then it's about, well, how do we get back past that difficulty? But let's talk about that difficulty a little bit more now before we go into how we get past it. You see, it's difficult to learn. It's difficult to obey, especially willingly, let alone happily. 
It takes a while to get past that, doesn't it? Can anybody say they just love to obey? It's not hard at all, especially when it goes against maybe what you love to do. It goes against your comfort zone. It pushes you out. Or maybe it, it truly takes you to trust in faith in God to equip you with the knowledge that you're going to need, which, by the way, the Holy Spirit helps you with, and we'll get into that in a little bit. Can anybody say they love to obey? They love obedience, even a dog, you have to train to love obedience. And guess what? You train them with treats. I like treats. <laughs> Moving on. You see, I think this is due to our sinful natures. Due to sinful natures, obedience is something we're not naturally or inherently good at. It's not something that we're inherently hardwired for anymore. It's like something in our circuitry, circuitry has just gotten short-circuited. It's been shot. But obeying God has always beneficial, and we need to get rewired. When you love something or someone, although difficult to follow at times, obedience is necessary. And through your love, through your obedience, it gets easier, and it's beneficial. It's mutually beneficial. Men, women, it's easier to follow your spouse's wishes out of love because of love, isn't it? When you truly know that you love them and you want them to see how you love them. And when you truly know that they love and appreciate and respect you, it makes it a little bit easier, doesn't it? You see, to obey and to follow their wishes, it's easier when you know that they love you. God has shown us that he loves us. And we're not just loving him and following him because of some selfish wishes it's because we know that what he wants for us is better than anything we can ever bring to our own lives. Children, teens, kids, whatever you want to go by, it's not always easy to obey mom and dad. I know that more than most, maybe, as many of you have heard my story with my upbringing and my teenage years. But let me tell you, I do believe that it gets easier with time, it gets easier with age, especially when you understand that your parents want what is best for you because they love you. And parents, you make mistakes. Kids, we make mistakes. I'm looking for my kids. They're, Lana's looking at me very very sternly here. I make mistakes. I know that, but I love you. And I do want what's best for you. God wants what's best for us. And what's best for us is to love him and obey him, to follow his commands and to continue his work. God wants you to be obedient to him and his commands because he loves you and wants what is best for you and for his kingdom. And they're not separate. God works it all together for his goodness and for his great plan. For he is sovereign. Now, I, sh I shared a little bit about how I understand how hard it can be. And I want to remind you, as you see, when I was a kid, which was a long time ago to some of you, but not as long ago for some of you also, but when I was a kid, I did not do well with obedience. I needed some serious obedience training, and I needed more treats. 
You see, me and my dad were constantly at each other's throats. I, I don't have an age to put on it, but I'm going to say 12 because most people think teenagers can be terrible. Well, I was terrible probably before then too. And my dad and me, we were always arguing. If my brothers were here today, they'd probably give a big amen to that. That was true. And I want to think that it wasn't mostly my dad. It was mostly me. We fought a lot And it's because of my own immaturity. It's because of my own lack of experience with life. Anything he said, I had to question. I had to debate. I had to know the reason why. And at least at times, if I could not see or understand the reasoning behind something to be valid, well, then I struggled to obey it. I struggled to follow it. It would only be later in my life, after I moved out, after I got married, after I gained this little bit of independence away from my dad, I started to understand, and somewhat because of that independence, somewhat because of maturity, somewhat because of going through life somewhat on my own and learning the hard lessons, that I truly understood, wow, that is why my dad was trying to tell me to live this way. My dad actually had some pretty good principles to live by. And he was trying to pour these things into my life and tell me to love him and follow his commands. Now, I don't know if my dad's going to watch this or not. If so, I might have to call him later and point out some faults. No, I'm joking. I'll just say, good job, dad. But here's the point that I'm getting at. I look back upon my youth now and I often think about how naive and how immature I was and how wise my dad was in much of his principles. I won't say all, because like I said earlier, us dads, us moms, us adults, we still make mistakes. But here's the thing. I now see that out of love, he demanded obedience, for he truly did, at least in most cases, no more, and wanted what was best for us. I, as a child, needed in faith to love and obey him. How much more do we in faith need to love and obey God? The God who knows all things, the God who is all powerful, and the God who is in all things, the God who was and is before creation and, and created all things and will continue to always exist and be in control of all things. How much more should we love him, obey him, and continue his work? And what a great blessing, shall I say, it is to continue his work, to know that he wants to equip us to do his work. You see, out of love, I've seen that I should have obeyed my dad more. But here's the great thing. My dad and I, we reconnected. I sought forgiveness. I said, I'm sorry. And we now have a much better relationship. I won't say perfect because we're still both sinful and prideful men. But our great God, our great father in heaven, he also forgives And he moves our sin as far as the east is from the west, he says. He, need, he doesn't continue to remind us of it. He says, don't live in that. Live in the future. Push it aside and just love me and live in my ways now. And here's the thing. Although it's going to be difficult, he will help you. Here's a big point I have wrote down. Christians must strive to live by Christ's righteous examples in all ways, making them our ways, all of them. For in this, God is glorified and we are greatly blessed. I'm trying to get back to my notes here. Jesus knows the best way to live. Jesus knows the way to an empowered life. And it's only through keeping his commands. 
So if you want to know how to live empowered, live a powerful life, don't live for yourself, live for God. And as you live for God, don't just pick certain things to follow. Strive to live by it all. Strive to live by it all. Strive to live by Christ's examples in all of them. God loves his own and he wants the best for all of us. He's given us commands to follow and principles to live by. He even loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that through him we would have eternal life with him. That's our blessing. But the great thing is he doesn't wait till we die this physical death of this physical body to now know the blessings of a righteous life. He's working our life now. Bring me to my next point here. If you love Jesus, you will follow his commands, even when it's hard, even when it's hard. We're not waiting for the future to live by his commands. We're doing it at all times, and God is blessing us to do so, even when it's hard. You see, life is hard, but love for God should still be seen in us. Our love for God and his love for us should be seen at all times. Need I remind you, we live in a sin-filled burdened by sin, fallen world. How much more does the world need to see the love of God in us? This reminds me of some words I often share at weddings. You see, love is not always shown in the fleeting feelings and emotions of the moment, but in the actions which are displayed in the good times and bad throughout life. I often say that the love that you're, you're feeling in this marriage tonight, this ceremony tonight, they will fade. These emotions, they're fleeting. They, are, they will fade with time, and you will go through hard times, but it's the actions which follow that will get you through. Similarly, loving Jesus is not just about having warm feelings towards him in good times, but about lovingly obeying his teachings and living in accordance to his ways at all times. Love has action. What action is the world seeing of your love for God? If we're honest, there are days, weeks, and years when we must fully admit we don't want to obey. It's hard to obey. We don't want to stay on the path of Christ. We want to give in to sinful, selfish desires and interests. We want to do things that we know we shouldn't do. Maybe we see our buddies going after work, co-workers, or up in Wisconsin, and I somewhat laugh, but it's bad. We see our buddies, our co-workers going to the bars, not after work, at lunch or before work. Maybe it's a uh, people who are having relations outside of marriage. Maybe it's people who are just using their money just for anything that gives them temporary gratification, temporary happiness. You can fill in the blank, but I want to encourage you. These things truly do not bring eternal happiness. Obeying God, living up to his commands, living as Christ shows us, having true love, this is what brings true happiness. There will be action, not action of which the world shows us, but actions of what God shows us. Jesus says, if you love me. It doesn't say, if you love me, then you obey my commands when you're happy. It doesn't say, if you love me, then you obey my commands when you're rich. It doesn't say, if, you're, if you love me, you obey my commands once you're married. 
says, if you, love, if you love me, obey my commands. Obey my commands. But what about the difficulty? Again, it's not easy to do this. It's not easy to do this. Well, Jesus, he has an answer for our difficulties as well. And he tells us in verse 16 to 17, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper, or depending on your translation, another advocate. Now, notice that word another before I read further. Jesus is and was. He continues to be a great helper, a great advocate for us. But he's saying, here, I'm giving another advocate, another helper. And this helper, he will never leave you. You will never be orphans. Let's read on. It says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. He will be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. And here's the official point number four for you if you're taking notes. Jesus does not leave us alone to live in love and service to him. The Holy Spirit is here for all those who believe. He will never leave them. He will empower them. Guess what? You're the them. If you believe in Jesus as Lord, if you're following after him, if, you're, if you truly love him, you're never alone. Yes, it will be difficult. It's not easy to obey. It's not easy to follow commands. But you're not alone. Jesus gives us a great helper. Now, let me tell you about this helper. This helper in Greek is paraclete or parakletos, depending on the word you're looking for and the verb or adjective. But it's also understood in in the descriptions, the defining words in English as an advocate, a helper, a counselor, a mediator, or an intercessor, or a great comforter. And in these titles, we have some very important applications to our life. What does the Spirit do? How are we empowered? Dr. J. Vernon McGee, a pastor which some of you know of, he once said, The words holy and spirit are used to describe him, but the words comforter and helper are some of his defining names. These names define what he does for the people who have him in their life. So as helper or an advocate, he goes beside you. He goes with you wherever you are. Some of the great commentators of all time have said he's like a lawyer who goes beside someone in court or a teacher leading and guiding in truth. Thank you, teachers. We have several teachers in here and you lead our kids in truth, especially you biblical Christian teachers who know Christ. You lead them in more truth than what you even know because they're not just seeing the the teaching that you're teaching them in school books. They're seeing your lives being a testimony of the love of God. So thank you for teaching our kids. But back to this, the Holy Spirit. It's also been said that he's like a guidance counselor guiding students to make good choices. Or lastly, possibly like a great friend who listens and helps and comforts through life. But here's one vast difference about the Holy Spirit. Unlike a teacher who maybe you graduate from, you move on to the next level, you graduate from that school, and then you're expected to do it all on your own. The Holy Spirit never leaves you. He continues to guide you. He continues to educate you in the truth, to convict you in it, and to empower you to live in it. 
the helper, the spirit. He empowers and convicts with truth. Ever wonder why the world does not live in the truth? It's because they don't know the Holy Spirit. They don't know Jesus, and so they definitely don't have the blessing that you have in the Holy Spirit. Not all accept Christ. Not all will receive the Spirit. But you do know Christ, and so you're commanded to live differently. Live in Christ. Live in his ways. Without the Spirit's understanding to apply Scripture, the Bible is just like a bunch of history books. But because we know the Spirit, we know it not to just be history, but it's truth. It's hope. It's love. It's the way, the truth, and the life. The Holy Spirit turns what we read into what we believe and into how we live. Let me say that again about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit turns what we read into what we believe and what we live out in our life. But the Holy Spirit blesses us greatly in actually understanding what we're reading. That's why it's so important. I love what the Gideons do presenting these Bibles. But it's so important for us to be going out into life and saying, have you read the Bible? Do you understand what it says? Because I'd love to come alongside you and read it with you and learn from its its word. The Spirit helps us to discern between right and wrong and truth and falsehood, to live for God's glory and not just our own, as every time we start living on our own selfish desires, the Holy Spirit convicts us. We can feel that tug upon us, that fight within saying, do not do that. Sometimes we feel like we're struggling with anxiety and anxiousness and fear. And sometimes it's a very real thing that we need counseling and we, in some ways, also sometimes need medication. But a lot of times it's also just because we're not living how the Holy Spirit's telling us to live. And the Holy Spirit's tugging at us and saying, stop doing that. The Holy Spirit convicts. He encourages us. He instructs us in righteousness. The Spirit is an amazing gift to us, but here's this thing he's often forgot about. He's often looked apart from. We hurry through our lives from one problem to another, constantly trying to solve our own problems instead of realizing or remembering the great empowerment which Christ has blessed us with. So I want to share a bunch of, and I am saying a bunch, I'm saying a bunch of scriptural truths about the Holy Spirit this morning. I promise we're in eventually. We've still got like an hour and 20 minutes till lunchtime, right? John's gospel alone has many truths about the Holy Spirit of which we need to just stop and reflect upon. And it's not my closing challenges. I'm not even at closing yet, but I do want to encourage you. Go back later. Maybe it's after lunch. Maybe it's this week. And just reflect upon what God's word tells you about the Spirit of God and the implications to your life. Here in verse 16, we're told that the Holy Spirit will be with us forever. In verse 17, we're told that the world at large will not accept him. But also in verse 17, to those who do accept him, to those who do have Christ, who have also the Holy Spirit because of Christ, because of his love, the Spirit lives with you and in you. In chapter 14, verse 26, God's word tells us that the Spirit teaches. The Spirit teaches. In chapter 14, 26 and chapter 15, 26, we're told that the Spirit reminds us of Jesus' words. 
I hope I'm not alone in here that thinks I have a terrible memory. And I struggle to remember all parts of God's word. Sometimes just one little bit at the very moment I need it. But here we're encouraged that the Holy Spirit who is with us, who never leaves us, who is teaching us, he reminds us of Jesus' words. In chapter 16, verse 8, we're reminded that the Spirit convicts of sin, shows God's righteousness, and announces judgment of evil. How much we try and announce judgment on our own, but the Spirit is doing it too. The Spirit leads us into truth and gives insight to future events, 16.13. And in 16.14, the Spirit brings glory to Christ. Well, guess what? The Spirit's in you, so that means you also are to bring glory to Christ. But John, the Gospel of John, is not the only place that speaks of the Holy Spirit. We find additional attributes other, in other locations. In Acts 15.28, we're shown that the Holy Spirit has mind and understanding. He is a channel of God's love. We see this in Romans. We see in Romans 8.26 that he helps us in prayer. Want to know how the Holy Spirit can help you? Try praying in a time of great need when you know not what to say and see how the Holy Spirit will fill your thoughts with God honoring prayer and exactly what you need in that time. I talked earlier about that someone in this congregation that told me that you don't really understand the, the words here about do not let your hearts be troubled until you've truly been brought to a point in trouble. And when you truly understand that time, now you see how great your great Lord is. Now you see how great the Holy Spirit is within your life to deliver you from that time, to help you through that time. Let's move forward. Romans 15, 13 shows us how the Holy Spirit has power, has power. In Galatians, we see how he equips the saints, equips the believers. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 10 to 11 tells us how he knows the deep things of God. I love how all these things work together. Who here cannot say that I wish I understood better the deep things of God? We have the Holy Spirit within us, and it says that he teaches us. Ask him to teach you and to help you understand the great things of God and to remind you of his word. I have one further one, one last one here before moving forward. Ephesians 4.20 tells us how the Holy Spirit can be grieved. And when we're not living in his power as he desires us to, we're grieving the spirit. Live in his power, love Christ, obey his commands. Jesus says that he does not leave us as orphans. All these descriptions of God, of the spirit of God, his attributes, his actions, they're with us to help us through like a parent who loves you. But unlike a parent who loves you, unlike a great teacher that loves and cares for your mind, and I know some teachers which care for their students a lot greater than just their minds. They truly love and desire what's best for them in their life as a whole. Christ is that person. The Holy Spirit is that person. He loves and desires what's best for you in all ways. Never forget that you are not orphaned to live by yourself. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 powerfully proclaims, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Jesus' question is simple. 
Will you love him and follow his commands? Well, we learned last week that part of his command is to continue his work. And I think that some of us Christians are so busy with troubled hearts that we're not walking forward in loving obedience with empowered lives of which we've been blessed with. It's a sad reality that we get so burdened by the things around us and by wanting to, to see things to be better that we almost somewhat get paralyzed. We feel like we can't move, but we can move and we should. We should remember that Jesus' love gives us a foundation to love. Jesus' love for us is the foundation of our love for him. And because of this love, we can and should and will continue his work. This is the ultimate commission. This is the call upon our lives to continue his work, to continue his work and love others as we have been loved. But remember, as you do this, we're never alone. We're never alone. You need not let your heart be troubled for Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. He's preparing a way to a better place. He's prepared the way to the Father through his sacrifice, through his great love. He, he's prepared a great way for us to now have an advocate to the Father as we pray by Jesus himself and now by the Holy Spirit to help us in great ways even when we don't know what to do how to live, what to say. How might we live in the Spirit's truth and power now, though? Let's start to work towards a conclusion. As some of you, you, your stomachs are probably grumbling a bit. I had two granola bars this morning, of which Chuck was making fun of me, by the way. Apparently, it's a laughing thing to try and eat something healthy instead of, like, the name brand chocolatey one. I ate the one with six super grains, Let's work with some applications, some truths about how we might live in the Spirit's truth and power. And I want to start with this. Start by submitting to conviction. If you're not feeling conviction and encouragement and teaching of the Holy Spirit, then you should be truly questioning, do you love Jesus? Because it's not a matter of just praying, Holy Spirit, come into me. Like some worship songs today do proclaim, Holy Spirit, come upon me. No, the Holy Spirit is already in you if you love Jesus. You have the Spirit. So I ask you, is he convicting? Is he teaching? Is he encouraging? Is he comforting you? Well, let's start by submitting to conviction. This may mean the conviction to read your Bible more, to pray more, to spend more time reflecting upon the truths of Scripture. Maybe it means the conviction of what the Holy Spirit's telling you to teach others, to meet with somebody and ask, what are you reading? I was encouraged this morning, and I thank you for that sharing, of someone whose wife, just not too long ago, but maybe a few years ago, challenged him and said, what are you doing with your daily walk? When do you have your alone time with God? Maybe the Spirit's convicting you to have that ministry work within your own life with others. We need more of this. Maybe what you need is to submit to the, con the conviction of sin. Jesus told the adulterous woman to go and sin no more. And the Spirit, as another helper, another advocate, is saying that very same, same thing to us. 
Anytime we're doing something that is against God's word, against God's command, something that's not glorifying to God, God and the newness of life of which we've been blessed with, we can feel that spirit within us fighting for us to glorify God, not self. Want to live in the Spirit's empowering? Trust in Him to lead you to talk with someone about the gospel. Or maybe to defend your faith or to stand up for the truth that you know to be true and stop letting people make a laughing stock of your Jesus. You see, you may not be able to see the Spirit of God, but I 100% believe that you can see the effects upon, in, and through the lives of those who trust in Him. Are you one of them? Are you seeing how the Holy Spirit is working within you, through you? Maybe the conviction or feeling the Holy Spirit working within you is seeing how even in the darkest times you find ways to rejoice in God. Or maybe it's even in the greatest of times not saying praise me, but saying praise God. Or maybe... Is seeing how even when you know not the will of God and you know not why you suffer so, you may proclaim with peace, not my will, not my glory, but yours, O Lord. I truly believe the Holy Spirit helps us in this too. The Holy Spirit enables you to love God and to obey his commands. And in this we are guided to not just righteously live, but to rejoice in all circumstances. We're never left alone to live and to love Christ and follow his commands. He's given us an advocate. Before I close with a challenge, I want to give you three practical steps to fight a battle of troubled hearts. I read these in a book this week. Number one, and I paraphrase as I added some thought to this, three practical steps to fight a battle of troubled hearts. For I do think that this John chapter 14, 15 to 21 is connected with the verse 1 to 15. And we need to remember this is not a separate part of Scripture. It works along with this. Jesus is still explaining to his disciples, why do they not need to be troubled? And he told them about the Holy Spirit. Well, here's three practical steps of how to battle troubled hearts because of his love and because of the Spirit. Number one, to dispel fearful hearts, meditate on the many truths of Scripture which relate to your troubles. Divine truths dispel fear. Number two, to reduce anxieties, allow the divine truths you've discovered and understood in the Spirit to guide your every action, to guide your every decision. And number three, to release your shame and your burdens, focus on loving Christ, obeying his commands, and continuing his work. As we close in prayer, I just want to give you this final challenge here. Wrapping all this up, bringing it all together, we should be considering how do we love Jesus with our life. Again, it's easy to say we love Jesus, but it's harder to actually act it out. But you cannot say you love Jesus if, if there is no action. There should be evidence of this love. There should be evidence of this faith. Is your love creating obedience? Do you obey his commands? Can people see your love for Jesus in action wherever you go? And finally, do you know the Spirit, the Spirit of God? If so, I ask you to, you know, I challenge you to consider this. Think about the Spirit today, this week, and think, is he guiding you? Is he teaching you? Is he reminding you? Or is he convicting you? What is the Holy Spirit trying to help us through right now? 
pray through this. Talk to somebody about this. And if you'd like to talk, I would love to meet with you and talk about this and just pray through these applications for our life and come through more of a direct application. How might we love Jesus better? How might we follow his commands in more of a way to continue his work wherever we go? I've held on to you a long time now. Let's close in prayer and song. Thank you. Lord God, we thank you for your love and we thank you that your love gives us a foundation for how we are to love. You are the perfect example of love and sacrifice. And Lord, it's because of your great love that we've been saved. We've been redeemed. We've been restored. Our sin has been washed away through faith in Jesus, his sacrifice, his redeeming work upon that cross. Lord, help us to love you better by recognizing the great power that you've given us not to have troubled hearts, but to work through this life with the power of the Spirit within us. And to remember that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And we can count on you through all times for all of eternity. We are not orphaned. The Father has loved us. He sent us the Son. And he sent us the Spirit. May you be glorified in all things. Amen. Please stand. Let's close in song. We'll sing the song twice. It's called Father, I Adore You. Here we go. Father, I adore you. Lay my life before you. How I love you. Jesus. Jesus, I adore you. try this in a round. So guys, if you're 18 or older, you're going to sing with me, and we're going to start the song. Ladies, 18 or older, after a measure or so, you're going to jump in with Adele. And we all start with Father. And after another measure goes by, if you're like 17 or younger, you're going to jump in with Alec. This is his last year he gets to do this. He's 17. Okay. Here we go. I will start. Guys, don't leave me hanging here, okay? Here we go. Father, I adore you. Lay my life before you. Lay my life before you. Jesus, I adore you. Lay my life before you. Lay my life before you. 
and you are dismissed. <laughs>